0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. So this one is called Hammer and Chisel, and each of my titles, if you, if you know me and you've hung around Ellerslie, you could probably start to put some pieces together like, say, ah, I know where he's going with this one. But (coughs) this one (coughs) seems like every time I get into Daily Thunder now I have some problem with my throat. So sorry about that, uh, all of you that have had to put up with that. Uh, I have a message that I gave uh, quite a few years ago called Michelangelo's Workshop. And so if this topic happens to strike you uh, with interest, you'd like to go deeper, I would highly encourage that. It's called Michelangelo's Workshop. And so I'm going to bring out a few of the nuance points of that in this, but hammer and chisel. So in Romans eight, uh, there first of all, Romans eight is such a powerful uh, passage, and uh, when you combine it with Paul's argument through Romans, you know five, six, and seven, uh, it crescendos in eight, and there's such a strength of what the Holy Spirit desires to do in us and so you could live after the flesh or you could live after the spirit and the life of the spirit in Christ which is the concept uh, that Paul is building it's like okay you're in Christ therefore you have the spirit life you have this power to be able to live and what, nothing can stop you you are uh, you are more than a conqueror uh, through Christ Jesus and so this is all in that context and it's an interesting line for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, there's a way that we should be praying. There's a way that we ought to be praying, but we don't know how to pray. And prayer is such a mystery whenever you just sort of sit down and think about it. That, that God would have any uh, dependence upon our praying is just such a strange thought, which is why a lot of people struggle with that and say, well, it really doesn't matter if you pray. God's still going to do what he does because he's sovereign. And yet, in God's economy, there seems to be this need for men and women to rise up in faith. And our faith seems to unlock the workings of God in this world. And so how does that work? Well, the Holy Spirit seems to be the author of that. He seems to sponsor prayer. And then he also seems to be the one working the results of prayer. But this whole thing of prayer is a very odd and interesting and thrilling thing. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Well, that's sort of an understatement for many of us. Have you ever had that feeling where you know you should be praying or you have an extenuating circumstance in your life, but you don't know what to pray in that situation? I've had that so many times. Where I have more of what would be called a groan, a wheeze, where I have faith and I know God is good, I know God is faithful, and I know God is a prayer-answering God, but I don't know specifically what to ask for. And many of you have probably faced uh, that exact uh, dynamic, and here we have a statement about it right there. We don't know what we should be praying. And so the context for this is very interesting in Romans 8.26. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So again, in context, we're talking about this life in Christ. When a believer turns from Adam into Christ, he gives up his first life and enters into a second life. No longer is he attempting to do things in his own strength. Now he is able to do things in God's strength. And this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it says the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. So the Bible acknowledges that we have weaknesses, that there are things that we don't know how to do, that there are things that we are weak at performing, which is why it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit. You see, we had the Holy Spirit in the beginning, but then because of sin, we lost this. We lost what we were originally, which was the dwelling place of God. And so what we see Christ returning us to, when we believe and turn to him in faith, then God is restoring unto us the way we ought to be. So without Him, we are extremely weak and unable to do anything. But with Him, it doesn't mean we're not weak. It just means now we have the ability to do it. But it's not us; it's Christ in us or the Holy Spirit doing the work. So the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know. <clears throat> for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which could not be uttered and so of course many people have had discussion on this scripture it's such a unique one but it's a beautiful one and that's that's what I would like to cover this is a life lesson for me this this one phrase here is so deeply impacted my life so Eric Looney doesn't know what he should pray but the Spirit is going to help me in my weakness in my inability to pray even though I'm supposed to pray, I know I'm supposed to pray. In fact, I'm supposed to pray without ceasing, but I don't know what to pray. So God, how does this work? You see, all Eric has is a groan. I have a groan of faith. And God will take that groan and somehow convert it. He will use it. He will leverage it to change the world. Wow, God is good. So the term in Romans eight twenty six is the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. So this concept of intercession is very, very important. And the New Testament it is exclusively used in the context of prayer. In the Old Testament, we see it being used as a strong man who will fill a gap and stand in the way. So it's like a city wall that has a hole in it. And an intercessor is one who's going to stand in the gap to protect the city and to hold off and fend off the enemy while they rebuild the wall. And so we have Christ doing that exact thing for us. That's what the cross is. We were weak and we were being ravaged by the enemy. He stood in the way. He stood in the path and, and bore, bore all the pain, the, the uh, curse, the, the, the sin. And he stood in our, in our way so that he could clothe us uh, and make us uh, right once again with him. And so the intercession of Christ... It says, it is, it is Christ who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. So it's not just the intercession of the cross, but now in his seated place in the heavenlies, Christ is making intercession for us. It's an, it's an odd thought to think of Christ praying for us, but that's the concept that is being revealed in Romans 8.34. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, wherefore, He, speaking of Christ, is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. So it's not just that Christ made intercession for us at the cross, it's that he continues to make intercession for us, which is an incredible statement because even the name Jesus is the I am name of God, Jehovah, which is God was, God is, and God always will be. And then it adds a verb which is to save. So God was a savior, he is a savior, and he always will be a savior. So one way of looking at that is, he was an intercessor, he is an intercessor, and he always will be an intercessor for us. It's an amazing thought, because a lot of us look back to the cross, and we say, okay, he did save me. But one of the things we oftentimes fail to see is that he does save me now. That my God labors on my behalf right now. The same way he labored on that cross, he is still laboring on my behalf. He is my savior right now. Incredible thought. So he ever lives to make intercession for us. What a thought. So the word in the Greek is entukhano. If you could see it on the screen, if you were getting this uh, via the, uh, the stream... Or you're sitting in here right now, you could see the this incredibly odd word. It looks like intig uh, but it actually is pronounced entuchano, and it means to pray, to entreat, to make intercession for another. Okay, this is what we just were reading, this is what Christ does for us. And so the reason I'm teaching you this is because I'm getting to a life lesson. I haven't even gotten to it yet. I'm just laying the foundation. And that is that Jesus ever lives to entuchano. He ever lives to pray, to stand on our behalf, to make entreaty on our behalf, to make intercession for us. But this word, so I clicked the screen. If if you're getting this via podcast, you can't see the screen. And if you did, it would intimidate you. Because what we have is the word entuchano, but it's like this huge version of it. It's like a steroid injection has just gone into the word. And this has to be one of the most intimidating Greek words uh, in all of the Bible. But uh, I wouldn't even know how to try and pronounce it if I didn't have a pronunciation guide for it. But it's huper entuchano. So what you see is it's the same entuchano, the word that is used for intercession of what Christ is doing for us. And then what we have is the word hyper on the front. Or at least that's how we would say it in the Greek, huper. And so we have this hyper intercession. And this is what in Romans eight twenty six the Holy Spirit is said to do for us. And there, this is such a pithy and profound concept. And so this is the way I'm going to describe it. It's the shadowing, superintending, paternal intercession of a stronger party for a weaker party, and so we understand the word intercession. But what God seems to want to introduce to us in Romans eight twenty six is this idea of we'll call it hyper intercession. In other words, it's a it's a intercession that sort of surrounds and swallows up. It's superintends. It shadows. So if I was to give a definition of the word hyper uh, in uh, the Greek, it would be this on behalf of, for the sake of, over, beyond, more than, more, beyond, over, one who does a thing for another. Think about that. One who does a thing for another is conceived of as standing or bending over the one whom he would shield or defend. To be for one, to be on one's side, to favor and to further one's cause. So it's this concept the bomb is going to go off, and and the father wraps his arms around his child and takes the reverberation in his own body. That's exactly the concept here. So what we have is this hupler in tucano it's this hyper intercession. And the Holy Spirit is going to work this for us. It says the Spirit is going to aid us, it's going to help us in our weakness. And we don't know what we should be praying, but the Holy Spirit is going to intercede for us. He's going to do this for us. He is going to overshadow us and enable us to do something that in and of ourselves we could not do. So here's my illustration. So up on the screen it says, Daddy and the Putt-Putt Green. So... when when I when my kids were younger now they wouldn't let me do it but uh, when they were younger we would go putt-putting and I had six kids six and under at one point in time so I had a tremendous opportunity whenever we'd go to the putt-putt green to get a lot of putt-putting in because my kids didn't know how to hold the uh, the putt-putter they didn't know how to hit the the ball And so what Daddy would do is, uh, all the kids wanted to win, and they wanted a good score. And they sort of, they'd figured that out, even though they were young. And so we all had scorecards, and we're walking around with them. But everyone would be like, Daddy, could you uh, help me? Daddy, could you help me? Daddy, you can't just help them and not help me. And so every one of the kids, I would sort of lean over, and I'd fix their hands on the putt-putter. And then Daddy would pull back their, their hands, and we would hit that ball together. Now, what's interesting is if you don't have daddy's help in that, the ball's probably going into a bush. In other words, these kids were really, really bad at putt-putting. But when daddy overshadowed them, when daddy sort of did that huper and over them, and I helped them do what they didn't know to do. They knew they wanted to get a hole in one. They just didn't know how to do it. So daddy helped them in their weakness. And all they could give is a groan. That's all they could do. They could give a movement, but it was an imperfect movement. But because Daddy overshadowed them, I was able to correct their imperfect movement and turn it into... I mean, it's sort of hard for me to say it was a perfect movement. Not, it wasn't always a hole-in-one, even though for the Holy Spirit it is. In other words, Daddy is just an earthly Daddy, but they, they did a lot better than they would have otherwise. And they would always get excited. If they got a hole-in-one, they'd be jumping up and down and bragging to the other kids which is sort of a funny thought, because without daddy's help, they would have never been able to do it. And so this is a picture. Charles Spurgeon uh, told a, a story of a young boy with a, a, with a bow that was too hard for him to pull back. And his dad uh, had desired him to be able to, uh, to shoot this bow. And so to be able to uh, see this young boy perform, he overshadowed him, just like I was describing with the putt-potter, And grabbed his hand and the bow, but put his hands over his young boy's hands and pulled back the bow that was too hard for the young boy to pull. And was able to then hit the bullseye. Well, the boy gets it on his scorecard. It is the boy that is shooting the arrow, and yet it is the father that is enabling him to do it. You see, what I am describing here with this huper is Christianity. That's why this is such a life lesson. We are called to live a life that we can't live. And yet, in our weakness, there is one that helps us. You see, if you try in your own strength and you continue to live according to the flesh, you will never be able to hit that hole in one. You'll never be able to hit that bullseye. But when you submit your life, you say, Daddy, could you help me too? When you allow the Holy Spirit to enter your life, he actually overshadows He enables you to do something that you couldn't otherwise do. It's not just praying that you don't know how to do. It is loving. It is being joyful in all circumstances. It is being thankful. It is being a servant. It is being humble, taking the lowest seat at the table. These are things that don't come naturally to any of us. And yet, if we come unto our king, who sits enthroned on high, and we say, Daddy, I need help. Would you help me too? He gives his Holy Spirit to enable us to do what otherwise we could not do. The slab of marble and the great commission. So the reason I, I talked about uh, the message that I gave a few years ago called Michelangelo's Workshop is because I could not think of a better illustration of this hooper in tuchano then Michelangelo and the slab of marble, which ironically was, uh, you have to understand what came out of this slab of marble. Maybe I need to give a little background to this. There's one of the most famous pieces of art in all of history is Michelangelo's sculpture of David. And Michelangelo's sculpture of David came out of a very specific slab of marble uh, that the Italian government had ordered and had had for, I think it was close to 100 years. And they had spent oodles of money on it. It was this massive slab. I think it stood like 23 feet tall. It was so huge. And they had commissioned two uh, other sculptors before, the the best sculptors in the land. And both sculptors had failed to be able to produce anything out of this. And they said it was impossible. And so what they had done is they chipped away at it. There was a hole in the marble now. And it was an imperfect marble because all these, these artisans before had attempted but had been unable to figure out how to get this grand picture of David out of the marble. Now, what's amazing about this is, first of all, imagine that we have been entrusted with a slab of marble. Okay, We, we, we have. It's, it's our own lives. And we are told that out of our lives we're supposed to produce the life of Christ. We're supposed to showcase this great piece of art out of out of this i mean I, but it's been worked on for generations and generations since adam and no one has been able to produce righteousness no one i mean so this is just impossible and what's interesting in the story cuz it's a real story it's a real story that michelangelo the third artisan that is asked and why he even says yes to this i mean could you imagine you are inheriting the mistakes of of two artisans before you. So you have a blemished piece of marble, and yet the uh, Italian government is going to say, hey, we need this done, and uh, we believe that you could do this. And who would ever say yes to that? And this this ranks as one of the most extraordinary artistic feats ever, because what he produces is not just good, it's famous. And it came out of a Marred piece of marble and I think that's there's something there that is really powerful and get this the marble was Nicknamed the giant because it mocked the artists and just like David and Goliath And so this piece of marble 23 feet tall Everything about it is a great picture of the gospel. It's a great picture of, of course David and Goliath but of Jesus and the cross and so what we see is that we are the marble that he inherited He inherited this, and out of it he desires to proclaim his glory. But this this body of ours mocks, just as Goliath boasted in the Valley of Elah. It's like, you can't do anything with this. You can't show the life of Christ through that slab of imperfect marble. And yet, when the master artisan gets a hold of this marble, the world has changed. And so, the you must... You must get a picture of the Son of God out of this slab of imperfect marble. That's what we're commissioned to do. That's literally what the Word of God says. That unless we can produce perfect righteousness, unless the world would see God in and through our life, well, we're sunk. So in comes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where we're at our weakest, God steps in to offer his strength. So the Holy Spirit that huper into chano's. So here's my metaphorical picture for us to chew on. This is my life lesson. I mean, This is a big deal to me because to me, prayer is a huge thing in my life. And when I'm praying, I need to recognize that I really don't know what to pray. In this vast scheme of life and eternity, I have hunches of what I should pray. And so, but one thing I know is that it's not that I need to be perfect in what I'm praying, it's that I need to swing the hammer and hold the chisel. So I have a slab of marble and God says, I want to get the life of Christ out of this dying world. I want to bring about my glory. And he says, so Eric, I want you to pray. And he hands me a hammer and a chisel. And so what am I supposed to do with that hammer and chisel? I don't know exactly how to get the life of Christ out of all of these circumstances, out of myself and out of others? How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to do that in my marriage? How am I supposed to do that in my family? How am I supposed to do that in my church? How am I supposed to do that in my ministry? God, I don't know how I should pray, but the Spirit of God helps me in my weakness. And he who put her into canos. So I have my little putt-putter, and I'm about to hit hit that little ball into the bush. I'm about to hit it right into the side of the windmill, and it's going to bounce out into the street. You know, see, these are the things that happen. He's because I don't know how to do this, but when I submit my praying to him and I say, God, I'm going to give my best. Can you hooper and tuchano and hold my hands? And can you direct my praying, my groaning, which is imperfect, and can you turn it into a hole in one? So I call it the master artisan that holds my hands to direct the hammer and the chisel. You see, when my kids are putt-putting, did you know that they exert? They actually give an effort. I'm not the one that just does everything. They participate in it. And that's what God is asking. God is asking us to participate in the movement of prayer, even though he is going to super-govern the process. So imagine that I'm a young sculptor with this slab of marble, and I have my work cut out for me, okay? You can just imagine being Michelangelo and staring at this piece. I mean, how he... He performed What he performed is just hard to even comprehend. But here's the confessions of a young sculptor, okay? Everyone out there in the Florentine government is waiting for me to, uh, you know, show them uh, my great work, and I'm sitting inside my studio bouncing on my toes going, boy, I have no idea how to do this. And so I'm going to confess a few things. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know a thing about sculpting. I don't even know what I'm trying to sculpt. Okay, this is a bad situation when you got a big crowd that's forming outside going, oh, I wonder what he's doing in there. I wonder what type of uh, grand artistic work he's doing. I mean, yeah, two artists before him have failed, and who knows if anything possibly can come out of that that's good. See, there's a lot of pressure on this young sculptor, just like there is upon us as Christians when we read the scriptures and we see the standard of what God is desiring, if you ever read Christian history and you read about all these men and women of prayer and what they did in prayer and what was the result of their praying, oh, then you, you look at your own praying, you're like, God, my praying stinks. I'm not very good at this. And that's exactly what they had to learn too. I don't know how to pray in and of myself, but I have a God who does know how to pray. This is his specialty, and my job is to yield myself to him and allow him to encompass me and pray through me. It was interesting. Last night, we, we had a special uh, dinner gathering for a, a film school that was here this last week, and uh, John Clay is the guy that was leading the, the film school, and he was talking about when I was, uh, I think we were praying on s- Sunday of this last week, and so they were sitting in the crowd, and when I was praying, his son folded his hands to pray. His son is three, and his name is Eric, so I really like this little guy. Uh, but his son folds his hands and then sticks his hands inside of, and then John Clay folded his hands to sort of say, see, yes, I'm, we're doing this together. And then his son folded his hand, his folded, stuck his folded hands inside of John Clay's folded hands. I was thinking, well, that, That fits fairly well (laughs) as far as with this. How do you do your praying? Well, you fold your hands and stick your folded hands inside of God's folded hands. God's praying. But you want to pray inside of his praying. And when you do, your praying is going to work. Because he knows how to pray. He knows what to pray. And he knows precisely how to do this. So this is the confessions of all of us as young prayers. We want to pray what's right. We want to do this excellent work in prayer, but we feel weak. Now I'm going to give you something different than the confessions of a young sculptor. I want to give you the promise of the master artisan. What has he promised to us? I know what I'm doing, he says. Isn't that comforting just to know that God knows what he's doing? Because a lot of times we feel like, okay, he saved us on the cross, but now it's up to me. And now I need to somehow figure this thing out. No, no. No, no. He knows everything. He's the one we rest in. Fold your praying hands and stick them inside of his. I know everything about sculpting. This is him talking, not me. So if you're getting this via uh, uh, podcast, make sure you, you know. I'm giving the quotes of the one who promises. And he's the master artisan, God Almighty. He says, I know what I'm doing. I know everything about sculpting. I know precisely what it is you need to sculpt. And I will be very present, I will be a very present help in your time of need. You have everything you need to do this right. Your job is to allow him to superintend, to overshadow. When you don't know what to do, know that I will hold the chisel, and I will direct you with the delicacy and the exactitude of a master artisan in order that you may sculpt as you must, And in order that the world may see the glory and perfection of the Son of David in and through this block of imperfect marble. So our our God, in how he does what he does, there are times when we think we know what God is wanting us to pray. And here's what I would say. If I was going to encourage you practically in your praying, it's that when you sense it's like either from a burden or a very clear thought that you know what to pray. Pray that, and it could very well be that it's in direct alignment with what God is desiring, and that's that's the hunch that I always work on. However, the confidence that we have is not that the world hinges on our perfect enunciation and perfect praying. It hinges hinges on our willingness to submit to the pray the prayers the governance of the one who does know how to pray. And so our job is to swing the hammer and to hit the chisel. However, if you're an artist, the f- the direct placement of the exact placement of the chisel is very important and the exact measure of how you hit the the chisel with the hammer is very very significant. And so those are things we don't know. How hard should I swing And how should I direct the chisel in its fine movements? What we need to trust is that when we swing, we swing with our might. And when we direct the chisel, we hold it in place with confidence. But we need to trust that God is going to control the oomph behind our our hammer swing. And he's going to control the exactitude of the movements of the chisel to bring about his ends. There's times when you're probably chiseling. You think, I know I'm working on the shoulder. I'm working on the shoulder. I know it. Yeah, I got a, a strong hunch. And then a week later, we recognize we stand back. It's like, God was working on the nose. I, I did not see that. You see, God is oftentimes doing things that we don't understand. They're beyond us. But at the same time, we are participants. So he wants us to enjoy the process with him. And there's times when I think we're working on the shoulder. And guess what? We are working on the shoulder. However, I need to be submitted because all I can offer is a groan. But he uses that groan as his raw materials. I offer up my putt-putting. And I say, God, I'm wanting to putt-putt. And I want to see that ball in that hole. My job is to offer up an Im- the imperfect groan. His job is to hoop it in and leverage my imperfect groan into a hole in one. <clears throat> a young faith believes God will do it. As as a young believer, we read the scriptures like, I know God will do it, but we oftentimes have a caveat that we stick with it, and that is, he will do it this particular way. And so we say, I know what God is doing, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hold my putt-putter, and it needs to go in this direction. And we oftentimes can... Distort the way that God works because we are so dogmatic in the fact that God has to answer this prayer this exact way. But let me contrast that with a mature faith. A mature faith also believes that God will do it. But a mature faith believes that God will do it his way. You see, an immature faith, a young faith, is still a real faith. It's just immature. And it doesn't yet understand that God needs to do this. That God is the one that must it into tucano. I think as a young believer, we oftentimes pop out of the womb and we're like, I got this, God. I, I can do this. And we fail to realize that we're hitting balls into the bush and i'm not saying that god's against it you know if i see my kid hit a hit their putt putt ball in the bush it's not like i'm going to discipline them necessarily for it as much as i'm going to say okay let's let's work on this okay buddy if if we keep hitting balls into the bush you know we're going to get all scratched up every time we have to get that and we're going to be here all day so how about daddy helps you do this and that's very similar to how it works with a young believer it's like we are dogmatic we know that god is going to do it this way And then we oftentimes get disillusioned when it's not that way. He's working on the shoulder. He's working on the shoulder. No, he was working on the nose. We need to recognize it is good to believe that God will do it because he will. God is a prayer answering God and he will do it, yes. But he needs to do it his way. He's the one that understands what needs to come out of this marble. So are we willing to submit to that and allow him to do it his way so one of the statements in fact i could say out of this whole life lesson this is probably the life lesson because if i say hammer and chisel how's that a life lesson right it is it's, it it reminds me of the life lesson but this is it right here it's on the screen so if you're getting this via podcast that'll teach you you need to come and sit in the audience maybe i shouldn't even give it out loud i should just say hey you have to be here in the live audience otherwise you miss this stuff no i i'll give it It says on the screen, for his maximum glory. Submitted to the greater answer in every situation. This is the life lesson. That in every situation, I I pray the best I know to pray, but truly undergirding all of my praying is this statement. God, I'm gonna pray the best I know to pray, but here's what I really want. I want your maximum glory in this situation. And that's my deeper prayer. I'll have a specific prayer to the degree I know to be specific, but underneath that specific prayer is a prayer that says, God, take my praying and use it for your glory. I want your maximum glory. I don't just want my ends in prayer. And so underneath the prayer is a greater prayer, and that is, God, I trust you to lead and take my imperfect pleadings and use them to get a hole in one for your glory. That's the reason I'm praying in the first place. And so that one thing right there has changed my life. It has set me free in praying to recognize that I can pray specifically but trust that God can still direct an imperfect, specific prayer into a hole-in-one, into a bullseye. So where where I remember hearing this uh, the first time, it was a guy named Otto Koenig. And he was talking about a attention point that this one eldership had had. And he was in, in this group of elders working with a church. And there was an older person, I mean, late 80s or early 90s, that was sick and dying. I don't know if it was cancer. I, I don't remember what the situation was. But they were older and uh, the family itself was split over this. Everyone was very strong Christians, and some of them wanted to pray for healing because they wanted this person to stay around, and others were just like, look, if, if I was that age, I'd want to go home to be with Jesus. <laughs> and so they were struggling with how to pray, and the eldership you know, was being asked, you know, the James 5 thing, to lay hands on anoint with oil, and they were split over this. And it's a funny split if you think about it because these are all strong Christians that believe that God can heal, Right? And but they were split over this. It's like, well, I think we should pray that they go quick <laughs> and go to heaven. I mean, I think that's far better. And then the other ones, but, but it could be such a statement for the glory of God if the, he was healed. And then he could show everyone in the community that God heals. And you could see it both ways, can't you? In other words, yeah, I could see it. And so they were split over this. And so one of the things that was stated in this meeting and I don't know if it was Otto Koenig that brought it up. I, I, I don't remember that detail. But it was this. Hey, guys, how about we pray for healing, but we pray uh, for his maximum glory. And if that means that he goes home, that we celebrate that. In other words, that we pray that God will do it, but his way. That we pray for God's maximum glory to be realized in this situation. Since we don't know what to pray, how about we allow the Holy Spirit to huper and and help direct this putt-putt. They didn't use that terminology in it, but that was the concept. And that idea has been significant for me to recognize that though I can pray specifics, I can trust God to carry out his ends. What do I offer? I have a groan of faith. That's what I have to offer, but that is precious to him. There are so many times when my praying is merely a groan. And as I'm walking in my early morning prayer time and I have weights or different trials that I'm going through, that what comes out is, a, it's like a wheeze, a faith wheeze. <laughs> and yet I trust that God can take that. God, I don't know even what to ask for in this situation, but I do know one thing. You're good. You're in control and you have a design for this. So can you take my imperfect prayer right now that I don't know what to pray and could you lead it? into a perfect answer from your kingdom. He does every time. He's good. Ephesians 3.20, what a great way to finish. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. You see, when we ask or we think, it's it's like a little three-year-old trying to hit a a putt-putt ball. In other words, we mean well, and we want to get it in that hole, but we're not very good at it. But God is able to go exceeding abundantly above all that we could do with our own asking and thinking. So in prayer, to recognize this is what we want. We want God who goes exceedingly abundantly beyond. That's what we want. We want the exceedingly abundantly above all that we're asking or thinking to be the answer, Our requests are too small, but his answers are the right size. And so to get those types of answers, you need to submit your putt-putter. You need to submit your life. You need to submit your way. He knows what he's doing. Let's trust him with it. Father, I ask that you would take our putt-putters. You would take our praying. You would take our imperfect groanings and that you would leverage them as your tools to change the world. Lord, we all have needs in our life. We have different things that we know to be praying for. And Lord, where we know that, where we have a sense of what to pray, may we pray boldly. And Lord Jesus, underneath all of our praying, may we desire your maximum glory. And Lord, may we not fear that at times we might think We are chiseling away at a shoulder when in actuality it's a nose. And may we not be dismayed in such moments, but may we trust that you turn all things for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord Jesus, your ways are higher than ours. They're better than ours. They're exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. We want those ways, Lord. We trust you. We love you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com.